Are you ready to take your real estate investing business to the next level? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. With your mentors, Wayne and Gabby. Good morning and welcome to the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Today is Monday, December 12th, 2022. The weather today will be a high of minus 19 degrees in Edmonton, minus 7 degrees in Saskatoon, and minus 1 degree in Toronto. 13, 13 days until Christmas. Whoop, whoop. Right on. <laughs> Thanks, Evie. Broadcasting live as we do every morning, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Mountain Time on the Podbean app. Go download the pod, the pod, the Podbean app. Search up that Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Come join in live with us. You can um, say hello and chat in the chat box. You can ask any questions you want. You can also click the call in button. Call in and ask any questions about real estate investing that you want for free every morning, free coaching. Uh, but, uh, but, but, Let's just keep the show moving because I got a bad review on iTunes that <gasps> says that says that we spend way too much time, twenty minutes, getting into the show it's and true. actually getting to anything. So, uh, and we're talking way too much about ourselves. So let's just get right into the show with your questions today. Uh, what do you guys got? Okay, what's your question? Yeah, I don't know. I, we got to wait. Like I'm, I'm looking in the comments right now. I got to get these questions because I someone on iTunes is impatient. Well, can I just say something? One of the first people to join the room this morning was Denis. Yeah. And congrats to Denis and Courtney yeah. on their beautiful, stunning new flip in Sherwood Park that's on the market. You betcha. Right around the corner from our Meadowood flip. Mm -hmm. So good luck to you guys on that. It was, yeah, you guys did a fantastic job. Any offers yet? They must have. Mm. They must have had lots of showings. <laughs> it looks really good. Yeah. It, it's a tough market though. So, but thankfully you guys put a fantastic product out. Put a good product together, you'll get the best chance. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Where do we go from here? <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, I get it. It's like, there's this like normal, that, that's what people love about the show. I, and that's, that's what I, when I read that, I'm like, you know what? One person says it's just, bad yeah. and 500 say it's good. So, I'm glad that he moved on. I hope that he finds some other podcast that gets right into it, that talks about some stupid strategy or some, some stupid story, and he gets all inspired about it, and he doesn't do anything for five years. Hells yeah. I hope I hope he finds his... Ken says, bullshit. <laughs> it's like five to seven minutes of banter. Thumbs up. <laughs> We're calling you, buddy. Calling you out. Normally, it takes a little bit of time to kind of get through some of our upcoming events. It's just normal. Like, of course, we're going to talk about upcoming events and stuff that we got going on. I'm not going to cram it right in the like the the second third of the show. Of course, going to get all that stuff out of the way because as soon as I get into something, I'm getting into it, right? Yeah. And I don't want to be distracted by other stuff, so we just kind of get this stuff out of the way. There is no real upcoming events. There's Christmas, okay? Christmas. That's our upcoming <laughs> event. Thirteen days. Thirteen away. days. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> uh what did we do this weekend? Uh Everly and I went to the ballet, went to the nutcracker. Ooh, the ballet. Ooh, the ballet. It was pretty cool. 
It was actually. She said she, she, said she hated it. She fell asleep. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. So it was Friday night. Um, you know, we were up at uh, our usual, like 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m. She went to school all day. Then we got hustled, got ready, went out for dinner, went to the ballet. It started at 7.30. And as soon as those lights went out, and then it's like, you know, soft ballet music. The orchestra was playing some beautiful tunes. And it's the perfect setting to just close your eyes and go to sleep. The first act, I was struggling to stay awake. Not that it was like, a, it, it was an incredible show. Like the the skill and just like it was beautiful it was absolutely beautiful but it's tough and especially for a kid who's been awake all day seven-year-old um but yeah she she did have a cat nap in the first act and then she was good for the second act okay <laughs> it was really cool though me and my mom were both like oh my god this is so cool all right yeah so we went to the ballet and uh oh yeah Sh sean says my wife went on sunday afternoon and almost dozed off yeah <laughs> It's like the perfect setting when you're in a dark room like that. I don't know if like other people struggle, but I struggle to stay awake through movies, like at the movie theater. And also um, sometimes concerts, like, you know, like at the Jube when you're like all sitting down and relaxed. It's not like big Rexall place where it's just like insane, mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, a nice intimate setting. And then you got a nice like, I remember like when Neil Young did his um it was like almost like an acoustic show. Do you remember that? Yeah. At the Jubilee? Yeah, unplugged. Yeah, unplugged. unplugged. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, I struggled to stay awake through that. See, I loved it because like it was like really cool to to get like an unplugged experience. I've seen yeah. them like seven times. Yeah. So that was a really cool experience for me. But for you, I can imagine. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Paul says, my wife is out like a light during any movie with subtitles. <laughs> See, Take some exercise on the eyes to to read those and stay up with what's going on. Yeah, I get it. Uh, isn't everybody watching with subtitles now? Yeah, I can't watch anything without. Or is that just an old person thing? I don't know. But once you get used to it, like I used to hate it. I couldn't watch subtitled movies. But now, like, even when it's in my own language, I need to watch with subtitles. It started with, um, what, was that? what was that show on uh, Narcos? I think it was Narcos was the first, like, because you had to watch it with subtitles and it was a really good show. And it was really, it was really hard when Narcos came out. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this reading these subtitles. And then I got used to it. And then I'm like, eh, I think I'll just leave the subtitles on. And then they've been on ever since. And now <laughs> I can't watch a show without subtitles. Yeah. Does Paul come in normally? I don't think so. Paul, I don't think yeah, you come into the show normally, so. Anybody, uh, thanks for joining. If you have been in the back of the room, we haven't noticed you. Sorry. Um, anybody else new to the show today? Yeah, say hello. I must be Let like, uh, excuse me, supposed to be talking about real estate, not fucking subtitles. Yeah, ballet, Peter Patter, get, let's get at her. <laughs> okay, I got questions about private lending. Yeah, we, we actually do. We have a few questions now, so that's good. Barry, Barry's here. Barry's new. Who's Barry? Barry Parkin. Okay. Hi, Barry. Barry. Barry reached out yesterday. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Okay. Cool. Uh, how about we get a commercial break? We do have some questions, and then uh, we'll get to the questions there after the commercial. If you guys got anything else, you know, keep adding them into the comments there, we'll, uh, and we'll get to them. Okay. Some of you might have heard us talking about DCI Properties and how much we like their process and deal flow as one of the premier wholesaling companies in Canada. But one of the things most people don't know about DCI properties is that they don't cherry pick deals for themselves. Everything they get under contract, they offer out to their buyers list. That's right, 
No sloppy seconds from no PCI. No sloppy seconds. <laughs> so if you're an investor looking for their next flip project or cash flowing rental property, get on their buyers list today and check out their inventory. To get on the list for Alberta deals, visit www.dciproperties.ca slash Alberta buyers or for Ontario deals, go to www.dciproperties.ca slash buyers. And we're back. Hola. Paul says, uh, be honest, I wish I'd known about you guys six months ago. Well, oh, that's awesome. Um, there's, you can listen to six months worth of, worth of recordings. <laughs> It's just not the same though. Like, I, and I think that Paul can probably agree. I don't think that he just like all of a sudden was on the Podbean app and found us live. He probably has been listening for a bit and then realized, oh crap, I can, I can join in live. It's pretty and amazing. It's just not, yeah, it's just not the same listening to the recordings. You have to be here. I recognize Paul's name. And the amount of conversation that happens in the chat that we don't talk about. And that we don't like engage in. We can't engage in oh, every in conversation text. happening. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, you're if you're not here live, you are missing out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so we got a couple questions here. I'm gonna rip through them. Uh, one other thing with that iTunes um, review that gave me a big one star um, was that uh, the titles are misleading. See, that's a tough one. And I, and I, and I want to apologize, even though you're long gone and you're probably listening to the truth about real estate now, um, or some other, um, uh, some other podcast or real estate investing. And I I don't know, (laughs) whatever you're listening to now. Um, what I'd like, what I'd like you to know is that we answer lots of questions every day. And at the end of the day, I'm like, which one, uh, (laughs) which one is, which one do we focus on the most? And also, which one is going to provide people the most value? And that's how I determine what the title is. And yeah, you'll find that um, the title that you chose, you know, there's probably only 10, 15 minutes of us talking about it. Um, however, um, I hope that it's it's valuable enough. And because um, we don't, we don't, we don't just, you know, talk about the basics here. Like, I mean, we try and provide as much value and as much detailed response as possible to the people that are asking the questions so that they can take action. It's actually more so for the person who actually asked the question and not for you. Yeah. To be brutally honest. Yeah. If you want value out of it, come ask a question. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not going to sit here and talk about rent to own all day and all the benefits and, and how my rent to own business is so amazing. No, I'm going to answer someone's questions so that they can take that. They can take action that day. So it's not about you. Yeah. Oh, that that person got me. It's not the one star. It's just like the you know the ignorance. That's what got me. Yeah. All right, back to the show. <laughs> uh, Nasir asked the other day. Uh, Lately, I see Ontario in Ontario about partnerships on multifamily to own a piece of the doors. I love entry level single family homes as I can exit when I want. What are the advantages for people joining in on those deals? Long term wealth. The advantages of joining in on like, you know. Got a little slice of the pie. A slice of the pie on some large multifamily deals. Uh, I mean, for most people, I'd say, I've always said this. Most people, it's just like the sexiness of multifamily, the sexiness of owning an, an apartment building. Mm-hmm. To be able to say it, I think that, that's what most people love about it. Because if they looked at the mathematics, they'd probably not do it. <laughs> I. The math has to make sense. And I think in multifamily, 
um, there needs to be there needs to be an opportunity for value add. In my opinion, yeah. Um, there are some good things about multi, like the tenant profile typically stays a little bit longer. Um, tenants stay longer. Um, the bar is a little bit lower as far as quality of finishes. You know what I mean? Um, on-site management. Uh, it, I'd, I'd say that's about it. There needs to be some sort of an upside in order for a multifamily deal to make sense. Like it needs to be, uh, rents need to be down. There needs to be opportunity to do some renovations to increase the rents um, so that you can do, you know, a refi and pull some of your money out. If you can refi and pull some of your money out, meaning reducing the investment portion that you have in the deal, then obviously your ROI will go up. If you can reduce your investment and the return stays the same, um, then your your ROI percentage is going to go up. So you're returning your investment is going to go up. Um, so I, I think that's that's the most important thing with multifamily deals. If you're buying just like turnkey multifamily deals and you're overpaying for them in a large city, you know, major city, like, I don't know, it's just... <clears throat> everybody wants to go straight into multi because they think that they, you know, I'm going to skip the minor leagues. I'm going to skip the micros. I'm going right into the, the big leagues, but you know, they'll spend years trying to figure it out. And then they realize, Oh, there's no deals <laughs> or the, the deals that there are uh, available. The big, the big sharks get them because they've got systems in place that, you know, they're the ones that are called before it ever hits MLS. So are there fourplex, sixplex, tenplex, twentyplexes in, in around your major cities? Yeah, but like just it's whatever the big players didn't want. So yeah. Uh if you're a passive investor, so there's so many different ways to look at this. If you're a passive investor with some cash and you just want to plop it into something that's like low risk and nothing too crazy, of course, put it in on a multifamily deal with someone else who's going to be managing it. Like joint venture in with someone who's got some experience and I like, you know, do your, do your diligence, vet them, um, plop that money into a big multifamily deal and just get some nice modest cash flow and low risk. Um, I've always looked at multifamily as like for, for people, you know, later on in life, over 50, over 60, someone who doesn't want a whole heck of a lot of risk, somewhere to plop their money. Mm-hmm. It's nice low risk. But like if you're young in your 20s and you're trying to, <clears throat> you got 50K and you want to turn it into 5 million in the next 20 years, you're going to have to get a little more aggressive. You're going to have to get into some deals where you can get some better ROI, better return on your investment, start making that money work. You like if, if you're, if you're like most 20, 30 year olds, you're stubborn. You don't want to do partnerships. I got 50K. How do I get to 5 million? You like, you can't plop it into like a low risk. Yeah. you know, quiet multifamily deal. You got to do some big deals. You got to get creative. Yeah. Actually, uh, Garrett had a question here that's, that's a little more on the aggressive. Um, uh, better ROI deal type thing. Actually, I forgot to save it. Oh, shoot. Where was it? I, yeah, I, I, that's what I say is like the pros and cons of it, generally speaking. Um, this here says great. Thanks. Yeah, I, I hope that answered the question. It's just a, such a big question. Yeah. It could be looked at from many angles. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, I, I don't know the, the, the market. The cool thing about Ontario is that like 
there's so many small towns. Like you could be in Mississauga and within 15 minutes, you know, on the highway, you've got like 30 small towns you've passed. Right. So there's a lot of opportunities to buy in a lot of those small towns where it's like you look in Alberta and it's like you got Edmonton, Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And all the other small towns are like way out of the way. Yeah. When you talk about that, like greater, greater Toronto area and like it, in and around like Vancouver, the lower mainland, where they're they're all literally connected or easily drivable. <clears throat> Um, it's so just much accessibility. It's, yeah, it's just a different. It's yeah, way different landscape for those types of investment opportunities. Because if you buy in like a very similar small town in Alberta or Saskatchewan, say for example, I mean, all you got in that area is the mill, or the meat packing plant. Yeah. Or you know what I mean? Or the 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 small little um, plant, um, you know. Um, whatever gas plant or something like that there. And I swear to God, that gas plant ever shuts down the whole town and the three towns around it are screwed. Yeah. So like when you buy, I guess why like when people buy multifamilies in those little small towns, I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Everyone makes $18 an hour in that town. They blow it all at the, at the bar. And like if, if the industry shuts down, or, you know, oil goes up or there's ever a pandemic again, you know, uh, where they shut things down, like you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's way different where, again, like the GTA and the lower mainland, like all of those surrounding towns and cities are all feeding off of the main, like Vancouver and off of Toronto. Like all of the people are literally driving themselves or taking transportation into the city to work and then back home. So that they can get more affordable living in the in the outskirts, but in places like, um, I mean, Calgary is a little bit different. They have some smaller uh, communities a little bit closer. I guess Edmonton as well. There's like Sherwood Park, St. Albert, Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, Leduc. Um, we do have some some town some towns like super close, but not to that extent. Right. Um, where they just have their own tiny little industry. Like um, I think. Yeah, Paul said here, the potash mines, like, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> where, you know, they're not feeding off of the bigger cities. They have their little thing. And when it eventually dies out or there's some sort of government things as we're shutting down all of these types of mines because it's not good for the environment, mm -hmm. all of a sudden that town is irrelevant. You know, a great example, um, that's a, a fairly decent sized city that got hit really hard 2010-ish. Um, uh, Grand Prairie. Yeah. Grand Prairie is a great example. Yeah. It's a, it's a fairly, it's a fairly big city. Yeah. And as soon as like oil, <laughs> oil was, uh, was down and, 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 and projects were down and everything else. It was like Grand Prairie was hurting. Yeah. Got hit bad. Right. Anyways. Um, Gabby, are you seeing lenders clamp down on refinance specifically like loan to value on burrs? Um, we haven't refinanced in uh, quite some time. It's not what we're doing right now, but um, I'd say a little bit. And from like the people within our mentorship program, I mean, like they've been getting the full 80% loan to value. Mm -hmm. um, so it, I think it's hard to say. I think it depends on the type of property that you're refinancing. Um, because I mean, there's a difference from, you know, refinancing a townhouse versus a modest single family home to then talking about, um, you know, four plexes, eight plexes, big multifamily, like there's going to be, they're going to look at them all differently, right? Yeah. 
Um, but I, I mean, personally, I can't say for certain. What are you seeing, Wayne? Uh, I know that not necessarily on the LTV. Jeremy's saying I've heard some lenders are lowering the the amount that they are willing to refinance, sometimes as low as 50% of the recent appraisal value. I I don't know which lenders this is. I mean, maybe alternative lenders, B lenders. Well, that's, yeah, that's the other side of it. Not just the type of property, but what type of lender? Yeah, uh, because everyone that I've been working with, um, that I've been coaching and mentoring, you know, they've they've seen they've been able to get it. They're they're 80%. it's the uh, it's the amount of time before they are allowing them to refinance is is the is what they've been tightening up on for the last few years. Meaning, you know, if you're planning on buying a property, increasing the value of it by doing some renovations, and you know, refinancing it at the new appraised value within three months of you originally purchasing the pro- uh, the property, you know, they're not liking that too much. A lot of lenders are have some policies in place where they want to see you own the property for at least 12 months before you can do that refinance, mm-hmm. which can really mess up your, your strategy. If you know, you're planning on just going in doing a quick two month renovation uh, and maybe you're holding the original financing at some high interest financing, right? Some short term financing. I mean, you can, you can put renters in right away, but, you know, will it make sense? Will it cover the expenses for 10 months until you're allowed to refinance it if your payments are really high? It's um, something definitely to consider, uh, but ask around to other investors in your area who are doing something similar and find out who they used, right? From my general understanding of this right now, um, most lenders have that policy right now, the 12-month policy where you can't refinance within 12 months of owning the prop originally purchasing the property. Um, however, I'm seeing people that are still able to do it and it has nothing to do with, has nothing to do with, um, what is that noise? Dutton's in his kennel. He's, oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> I thought the printer was on. <laughs> Sorry, just go, <laughs> distracting me. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> I don't know. Some people are still able to do the refinancing within 12 months. Yeah, some people are. Um, so I, I'd recommend just checking in with other people, see what they're doing and see who they're using. Um, I, it's, it's, that's kind of a, that's a tough thing to tell someone like, oh yeah, sure. Go ahead and do a burr. Uh, you'll be able to refinance hopefully. Yeah. Well, the other thing, Wayne, is that um, something that I think a lot of people forget about when just having these general conversations is that it also really depends on the performa of the property and also what your financial situation is. Mm -hmm. So what is your DCR? What is your like all those things? Um, Is it already rented or are they taking market rents and doing an an analysis? It comes down to so many factors that are specific to the person, to their employment, to their portfolio, all those types of things. So if somebody goes and tries to refinance a property and gets uh, 65 or 75% loan to value, um, somebody else can go and refinance a very similar property with a very similar situation, but their finances are different and they can get 80. So it's not, you're not talking apples to apples if you're just walking up to a buddy and saying, hey, you just did a refinance. You got 80? Yeah, okay, they're still doing 80? Great, I'm going to go do this. Yeah. It's, it just is so dependent on on you, the property, 
everything. The lender. It's yeah, it is. It is really a case by case scenario. And then, um, you know, in my experience, having having a mortgage broker that's investor focused that has really good relationships with uh, with the underwriters and that knows your situation and that knows your situation. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I like I wish I wish I could say that like every lender treats everyone individually and it's just all mathematical. But there are there is some leniency. Yeah. Right. There is some discretion. And when a mortgage broker would never admit to this, but like, you know, when a mortgage broker's got a good relationship with someone, we're like, hey, can you put this through? Sometimes they put it through, right? It's, yeah. It, <laughs> I, I, I read something or I watched the video just like this past weekend and it was, I, I can't remember, exa- I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher the paraphrasing of it, but the fact that people forget. That businesses are not just businesses. Businesses are full of people. Okay, businesses aren't just four walls and a and a and a ceiling or a roof. Businesses are run by people, and people are human, emotional, and they're emotional. So there is room for discretion, and there is room for you to be able to sway them. So you the. Your ability to persuade people, your ability to manipulate people, your ability to uh, build on relationships and your reputation does go far. Sometimes you'll see, well, how come they got away with it? And they wouldn't let me do it. Well, and that's not fair. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, have you ever noticed how people, some people just get ahead, even in your, like your corporate settings, you know, at work? Ever notice how some people just get ahead because they're liked? Yeah. That's not fair. I've been here longer. Relationships. Tough titty. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just the way that the world works. And, you know, as much as I don't like it, I, I as much as I'd like everything to be fair and stay between the lines, it doesn't. And but the sooner that you realize that, the sooner that you'll start you'll start playing the game, you'll start winning the game. Right? It's all built off relationships and networks. So having the right people in your corner will go a long, a long way. Yeah. Well, um, how many times do you hear it's not about what you know, it's who you know? Mm-hmm. That's exactly the same concept. It's, just, it's such a dumb cliche thing and everybody hears it all the time and then they just kind of ignore it, but it's the truth. Yeah, it is. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it the policies have tightened up. For those types of things for bur- for they don't they don't look at it as burrs they look at it as refinances yeah you know what i mean the lender's not like oh we're tying it we're tightening up on burrs no um they don't even know what that term is but what they're looking at you know from 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 the top of the 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 the, the chain or the food chain in that in that you know that lending institution what they're looking at is that people are over leveraging themselves and they are refinancing at higher values than what they believe the properties are actually worth. So what they don't want is they don't want people buying properties and the value increasing dramatically in a short amount of time and then people refinancing at that new appraised value and then over leveraging themselves. Because if there is a bubble and the prices go down, i.e. what we started seeing happening this year, in a lot of places in Canada, then people have mortgages that are worth more. The mortgages are more than what the house is worth. And if they don't have any money in it, it's like, yeah, 
walk away. See, there's no skin in the game either. If there's no skin in the game because you've gotten all your money out, then what's 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 forcing you to make payments? Some people outside of the investor community, a lot of home buyers, like if they have no money in that and they've gotten all of their equity out, you know what I mean? And 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 the and the value of the property's gone down so much and the and the mortgage is so much higher. For some ignorant homeowners who aren't like sophisticated investors like us, they'll just walk away. Yeah. Cause what what are they why are they gonna fight to make their payments? Why are they gonna fight to hold on to that property for a little bit longer? There's no reason to. They don't give a shit about their credit. And that's what the lenders are trying to prevent. Not so much about preventing people from doing burrs, right? Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, Nasir said, one lender said I was at risk because I had six properties with cash flow. Very different answer from each lender. Yeah. For sure. Um, we got a really good mortgage broker who just, just, she was always able to help us out. And like, I don't know, maybe her I, relationships. Yeah. And I felt like every time we got a mortgage, I was like, wow, that was a miracle. Like, <laughs> cause there are so many like hoops to jump through and stuff. It's like, how did you make that happen? <laughs> I think that was every mortgage we ever got. Yeah. And that wasn't us. It was just, just trying to navigate around the policies Yeah, and just how they're ever changing. And if you asked me a question today about like mortgage policies, and even if I had the answer, the, the answer would be different next month. Yeah. Or tomorrow. And it'd be different for 12 other le different lenders. So yeah. hard. I Trust me, I tried because I'm kind of a, I'm obsessed with stuff like that because I, I like to plan. Yeah. Right. I like to plan things out and I'm like, okay, if I do this, I do this, I do this, I can do this. And then I, you know, I, I share that with my mortgage broker early on in the game and she's like, okay, cool. That makes sense. And then I come back a couple weeks later. She goes, yeah, that's not going to work anymore. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. How am I supposed to plan? Yeah. <laughs> do the best you can. Do the best you can and just keep praying for miracles. Yeah. Um, Garrett was asking, um, it's a complete 180 guys. And, uh, okay. for those of you that are got their fingers on the, um, on the rating buttons on iTunes and about to submit your review, um, your negative reviews on the podcast, I just want you to know that there's different questions on different topics today and we will choose the topic <laughs> as are there every day. <laughs> and, uh, we're going to, we're going to take the one that was most relevant and the most valuable. And we're going to, we're going to name this episode after that. And feel free in the comments to let us know, you know, what, what would you like the episode name today? Or what would you like the, uh, the clickbait focus on today? I'm not letting that go. <laughs> it's literally like the basis of the show is that we answer random people's random questions. I think that the, that person would feel better if I just put the date in the title. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Do you... It's it's like radio shows. Do radio shows talk about one thing for the whole freaking show, the whole morning show? No, they talk about how some guy got his leg bit off by an alligator in Florida for like five minutes, and then after the commercial break, they're talking about how Kid Rock, oh, did something, broke his leg. Oh, it was Kid Rock's leg that got bit off? <laughs> Someone's gonna tune in right now, and they're like, "What happened to Kid Rock?" I wish I had a Kid Rock soundbite ready. That's actually quite surprising. That's actually really quite surprising that I don't have a Kid Rock soundbite. I have no clue what Garrett's comment says. 
Frogging Ben Stouffer 630 Ched sure does. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think Garrett's uh, never went to bed. <laughs> it's early for a lot of people, but Garrett's been up all night. <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> He meant to say uh, the swear word effing. He meant effing to say effing Bob Stoffer, not frogging Ben Stoffer. Ben Stoffer, six thirty, Chad. Sure does. Sure does. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy says Garrett. That doesn't clear much up. No, no. Oh man! Wow. <laughs> okay, so what did did Garrett have a question? I have no idea. <laughs> Um, I do appreciate people staying up late for the show. <laughs> I was like, it's too early for the show, but have you stayed up late? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> right, Garrett had a question actually. Um, Hopefully it makes sense. <laughs> and, and, and this, this actually, I think he put this question together. Relatively well. Yeah. Okay. AFS financing for a flip pros, cons. Hmm. Okay, nicely written. Nicely written. <laughs> it's pretty clear. <clears throat> I, we I love, love you, Gary. I, I love that Glenn, Glenn's always in the comments. Glenn's always in the comments trying to give me a new t-shirt. I, I know. <laughs> Glenn is pro t-shirts <laughs> with sayings. Just saying, Glenn, you know, a bit, you can create any business. It doesn't have to be in real estate. I think your calling is a t-shirt business. Just with quotes from random people. I Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Frog and Ben Stouffer. I think, I think Glenn's, Glenn's niche is that he's going to listen to different morning shows at, or different shows, find funny things that people say, make the t-shirt, show up at their place of work and hand them a t-shirt and try to sell it to them. It's kind of like when like the vacation photos, like someone takes a picture of you and you, they want you to buy it and you have to buy it right then and there. I think that's Glenn's calling right there. Totally. I'm on board for it. If I had Glenn show up at my door with a cool t-shirt or something I said I'd be honored <laughs> just saying okay um, AFS financing for a flip I'm just kind of catching up on the comments here before I get into it all right um, yeah 100% I, I think that um, so AFS for those of you guys that don't know it stands for agreements for sale which is a seller financing strategy that um, it's kind of like a vendor take back mortgage, but not the same. It's kind of like rent to own, but it's not the same. I think, you know, how would you describe, let's put you on the spot, Gabby. How would you describe agreements for sale for someone who's never heard of it before? Uh, seller financing. So the seller is your bank. You don't need to go get financing. The seller holds their financing and it's a delayed title transfer. So you get to take over the property, uh, utilize the seller's financing. You're, you're responsible to pay for everything. Um, but they keep that in place. And then at the end of whatever term you decide, that's when the title transfers. You close at a later date. Yeah, close at a later date. But you get the property, you get the mortgage pay down, all that kind of stuff. You're completely responsible for it. Appreciation or depreciation is all on you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, then you close at whatever time frame you said. 
and the property is yours. So imagine um, you go to a seller and say, hey, I'd like to buy your property. But instead of getting a mortgage today, I am going to, uh, I'm going to get a mortgage in five years from now. In the meantime, I want you to keep the mortgage in your name and the title in your name. I'm going to take possession of the property and I am 100% legally responsible for it. I am liable for everything. And we're going to put it all in a contract that says everything that we're talking about. And in five years from now, all of the benefits of the mortgage pay down and all the appreciation and everything else I get. And in five years, you just get the equity that you were owed as if we closed five years before. Yeah. Right. So if you look at it and I'm buying it for $300,000, you have a $250,000 mortgage. You should be receiving $50,000 today. Instead, you're going to get, you're going to get that $50,000 in five years from now. In the meantime, I get all the additional mortgage pay down, the appreciation and everything else. And in five years, I will close on it by either selling it or I'll get my own mortgage in five years, but I will close on this transaction. You will get your $50,000. The mortgage that you hold will be paid out. The title will be transferred. Done. So the question is, is this a good idea to use that form of seller financing for fix and flips? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, not enough people utilize it though. Yeah. And, and the reason for that is, uh, well, I mean like the pros, uh, I'll get into the pros and cons in a minute, Garrett. Um, the reason why people don't utilize it nearly as much is because in order for someone to agree to that, those seller financing terms, there needs to be some form of motivation, right? If someone had $50,000 worth of equity, do you really think they want to wait five years for it? They want their money now. Why would they wait? Right? What if they had $0 of equity? What if they owed $300,000 in mortgage and the house is worth $300,000 and they tried to hire a realtor, but the realtor said, no, because you can't pay me. You don't have any equity to pay me. And you put it on the market and you got no offers and you're getting desperate and you can't make the payments anymore. See, in that, search, that, in that circumstance, someone has some motivation because they just want to get it off of their hands. They don't want to pay those bills anymore. They've already moved, you know, or they, they, they lost their job. They can't afford those mortgage payments anymore, those property taxes, everything else. And they don't want to be a landlord. See, and one of the, that's one of those circumstances where a seller would be motivated to do something like that. And if that were the case, you know, um, it could work for a fix and flip. But Wayne, the other thing to consider here and one of the pros of it um, is that it can be easier to convince a seller when it's a flip versus like a five-year I'm going to hold it True. because you really only realistically need to negotiate like a year and hopefully you're done six in months. four well I, I'd say six months is risky in case you're not done some delays and stuff I like to live life dangerously you do like to live life dangerously I would go for a year and tell them that you're very likely going to have it done and sold in six months mm -hmm. but that the year is just for for safety measures mm -hmm. in case things get delayed or it doesn't sell quite as quickly um and then they know, oh, okay, I'm getting my, I just need to wait a year or hopefully only six months and I'm getting my money out. That's a lot more attractive. Yeah. Than like five years, 10 years. For sure. Absolutely. Um, another thing is that, uh, let's say for example, you know, the person's got it listed for 300,000. They got a mortgage for 250 and, but Garrett needs to buy it at 200 and 
40,000 or so let's, let's say Garrett needs to buy it at 250,000 for it to make sense because that's the numbers that he needs for his fix and flip. So Garrett throws a nice low ball offer at the guy. Guy says, come on, buddy. Like it's worth 300 or I want 300. And Garrett's like, well, all I can do is 250. What if the seller was able to provide seller financing an agreement for sale? How much could Garrett pay if that were the case? You got to think about Garrett is probably going to be buying this property with some high interest short-term financing for his fix and flip. He's going to be paying some high interest payments. The seller currently carries a mortgage with very low interest rate. Right? Let's say the seller's got 3% interest on his mortgage. Garrett's about to pay 16%. It's a 13% difference there. So would Garrett be able to perhaps offer $260,000, an extra 10K to the seller, and then the seller gets some of his money back? Suddenly, Garrett can actually pay a little bit more than he normally could because it's six and a half dozen because Garrett's saving money on interest because he's paying a lower interest rate on the seller's underlying financing mm. as opposed to paying high interest. So the savings that he's getting from the interest, he can actually add on to the purchase price. He's still making the same profit. Yeah, It's win-win. The seller's getting more and Garrett's getting the same return as he would if he was to pay, you know buy it outright for 250 not exactly the greatest example of numbers, but just to kind of, kind of give you guys a little bit of an idea of, you know, the, the pros and cons of it. Um, in most cases, it, I'm not, this is a really great strategy. Um, it is a little difficult unless there's some serious motivation from the seller though. Um, because it's not as, it's becoming a little more uh, well-known, especially in the investor community, it's becoming well-known. You know, Gabby and I have been doing this since 2016. Um, there wasn't many investors that really knew about it in 2016 or that were really using it. A little, it's being used a lot more, but like in like normal home buying, like with realtors and like home buyers, no one knows about it. So when you come up to them and be like, hey, I'll take over your mortgage payments and I'll pay all your bills and you keep the mortgage and title in your name and then I'll, I'll close at a later date in a year. They're going to be like, the hell are you talking about like this is some sort of scam you know what i mean so it's it's definitely possible but you're going to need uh in a lot of cases it's like it's off-market stuff where you can deal with the with the seller directly uh when you're trying to get your realtor to explain it to someone else's realtor to explain it to the seller ah just it's a pain in the butt yeah possible though definitely possible is it going to be on every deal No. no I just want to set your expectations proper um, because people do do deals like this. Um, but it's more often when you have a direct connection or communication with the seller and you can explain it to them um, than trying to get two people to explain it. Yeah. Um, Eric has a question stemming off of this. Mm -hmm. He says, what if the seller in the AFS changed their mind? I recall there was an earlier episode where it was talked about that a judge wouldn't force somebody to sell their property. Mm. In this situation, this is, this is a sold property. Mm -hmm. You have gone, you have both gone into the lawyers and, and signed the papers that this is a sold property. 
Um, sorry, Wayne, you wanted to? Oh, no, go ahead. I just oh. have something. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in the earlier situation that we were talking about, the property hadn't closed yet. Um, you know, like when we were talking, the I think it was just the other day, yeah. just last week, uh, we were talking about how, you know, maybe conditions have been removed, but neither party has gone in and signed and there's been no transfer of funds or anything like that. And then somebody backs out in those circumstances. That's when Wayne was saying a judge wouldn't force you to sell your home. Yes. But this is a, this is a done transaction. So it is enforceable that if something were to happen, you take your signed paperwork down to the courts and you enforce that. Yeah, I'll take that one step further to um, to to remind you of a discussion that we had. When did we talk about that? The other day, Monday, Tuesday, sometime last week. Yeah. Oh, what day is it? Monday. Oh shit! Feels like a Friday. <laughs> Seriously, Uh-oh. is it a Monday? <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, sometime last week we talked about it. Now, remember that all that you can go after in when you have a signed contract and someone doesn't do what they're supposed to, all that you can go after is what you're owed. Remember? Now, another thing to consider, this is I've done a lot of research into this because um, obviously I'm very well versed in, in the agreements for sales strategy and the legal side of it. What one big component is possession. The fact that you have possession gives you a lot of leverage. Okay. You have possession of the property. It's not as if the seller has possession of the property and they're refusing to. You already have possession and the seller is trying to change their mind and take possession back. They can't take possession back because you have a contract showing. So if they try to break into the, the house, like it, it, it's legally sold. That's trespassing and you call the cops. <laughs> yeah. And when the police show up, you show them the agreement and they would not allow the person to go back in. Possession. You have possession. So they they would be fighting to get possession of the property back. They would be taking you to court as opposed to you taking them to court. Okay. Now, if in the event they went and they canceled their mortgage or something else. Or, okay. I just want to actually you know what. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Jesus, Wayne. We are not supposed to be diving this deep. You need to go take a course. <laughs> okay. I'm going to answer this. This is okay. I'm just going to say before I answer the question, I'm going to make a note here what I was going to talk about. I think I answered his question perfectly. There's something really good (laughs) that I'm going to add in here because it's relevant to what we said the other day. Before I say that, I don't dive into these types of strategies because I don't want to give anyone anything that they could use to go out and try and use this strategy without taking a course. This is like, we're talking one of the most advanced strategies, if not the advanced, the most advanced strategy within real estate investing. And you just, just tapped into a little bit of things that can go wrong and you need to make sure that you know how to do it properly so that you don't mess up yourself or someone else. Keep in mind that there's other people that are involved in this, the sellers. And if you don't know what you're doing, not you, I'm just saying just in general. If you don't know what you're doing and you do it wrong and you affect someone's mortgage and you miss a payment and someone misses a mortgage payment, that affects their credit dramatically. Yeah. Ever miss a mortgage payment before? That shit sucks on your credit. Yeah. It's bad. You ever missed a, a home equity line of credit payment? It's the same as a mortgage payment. That shit goes on your record and it it, it hurts big time. Yeah. 
So I want to make sure that this is an amazing strategy. Please, please go take a course on it. I actually just did a post. I just did a post on this yesterday yeah. on the Facebook group. So if you're in Real Estate Investing Masters um, free Facebook group, um, look in there. I just shared Barry McGuire's Agreement for Sale Home Study Kit. It's 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 free if you join Masters. So that's another thing. If you join the Masters Mentorship Program, it's free. All their home study kits are free. Um, but I just I put a discount code there for you guys. It's twenty five percent off. Use REI Masters as the discount code. It is hands down the only agreement for sale course that you should be taking. Yeah. Everyone else who has one in Canada stole it from Barry. Yeah. Barry's been doing it for 15 years. He taught us back in 2016. We've been teaching with him ever since at all their rapid cash and agreement for sale courses and everything else. Hands down, like the best course I've ever taken. Yeah. That course actually changed our business because we were stuck yeah i say this all the time like that was we're that here was today because of it we are 100 percent here that catapulted our business we're here today because of, we took that course in 2016 like it's freaking amazing please go take that course and and you're gonna learn a lot of this stuff and then and then they have a they have a facebook group as well for students and you can ask these advanced questions in there because yeah. you're gonna get solid real answers as opposed to opinions um, please do not ask the general public about this. Um, okay, so I will answer this. If in the event someone decided to uh, change their mind, remember what we said the other day. If it got to a point where you lost possession, okay, you can only go after for expenses or losses that you've incurred. So if you had been in that property for five years and you had five years with a mortgage pay down, and you got an appraisal on the property and the and the property appraised for $50,000 more than when you first started that agreement. So the house is worth $350,000 now. And you've paid down $50,000 with a mortgage. Then you are entitled to the $100,000 worth of equity. That's what you would go after. You would take them to court for the equity that you have in that deal. Okay? Because there would be a there would be a an amortization uh, schedule with it to show how much mortgage pay down you have, how much you have in equity because of the appreciation of mortgage pay down, and then all of your other expenses that you incur for getting that legal parking receipts. Uh, you know, if you if your tenants will you know you know you owe money to your tenant because they they had to be forced out. If you have to hire a property manager, like what whatever anything. Anything that you incurred because the other party did not do what they were supposed to do, you would show receipts for all of that, and that's what your claim would be in court. That's the answer to it. Yeah. Right? And that's all you can go after. I'm, toss on a little pain and suffering if you'd like. I don't know if that really works. <laughs> um, but that's, yeah, that's the answer. But back to agreement for sale, you know, financing for a flip, I think it's great. I think there's a lot of situations, especially for um, wholesalers. Wholesalers should be taking this course for sure. <laughs> think about the wholesalers who are going out and trying to find really good, amazing deals for flippers. Okay. And they know I need to get this house for under $300,000 in these neighborhoods. And I need an ARV of over $500,000 for these deals to work. Okay. I'm going to sell these deals to three hundred thousand for $300,000 to a flipper. And whatever I can get it for under three hundred thousand dollars is going to be in my assignment fee. So if you lock it up for two eighty, it's going to be two eighty plus a twenty thousand dollars assignment fee, right? And uh, 
and it'd be worth $500,000 afterwards. Okay. But what if you could only get it for $300,000 and the, the seller, you know, the, the wholesaler is there and he's trying to get this, this guy below $300,000 and he won't go below 300. And you're like, I can't, I can't do this deal because it's just, it won't work anymore. I need it under $300,000 in order to sell it to an investor. What if you could get seller financing on it with a nice low interest rate? Get the seller to carry the mortgage for a year at their 3% interest rate. And then sell it to a fix and flipper for $310,000 because the fix and flipper is going to save money on the interest rate. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I don't know why more wholesalers aren't taking the course. Yeah. Huge opportunity. Because in a lot of those cases, like the sellers are, are desperate. They need to get out. They need a little bit of cash in their pocket. And there's so many deals that I think wholesalers are walking away from that, uh, that they could have stayed at the table and just negotiate a little bit more. Okay, I get it. I understand you need $300,000. Okay, I can give you $300,000, but here's what I need. I need you to carry the financing for a year. Does that sound fair? Yeah. Boom, you got a deal. Yeah. You still get your 10K, right? Man, I walked away from so many deals in the past before I learned how to do that. Crazy. I've seen some um, AFS opportunities uh, from wholesalers, but gen like I haven't seen any like short term like flip opportunities. Like most of them are like, hey, check out this like five year AFS opportunity off market from. Mm -hmm. But unless it's like turnkey and you can get somebody in there, you're not really benefiting from the five years. Because if you need to do renovations on there and you're not getting your renovation money out because you're trying to hold that five years of financing, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you just got to look at each opportunity and kind of figure out what you do with it and if it makes sense. How would you find an AFS flip? Wholesaler, on market, off market, um, everywhere. Uh, mostly off market. It, like. Cody, Cody, I'll say again, um, I don't know how, how long ago you wrote that message, but like, these are, these are unicorns. Like you're not going to find these things every day. Um, but I think that when you're at the, when you're at the table, uh, you know, and you can't seem to get to the price or, you know, your wholesaler is at the table and can't seem to get to the price. You can always say, Hey, I can give you that price, but here's what I need. Yeah. Right. So I guess Garrett has an opportunity. It's a 10-year AFS and he's getting more information and crunching more numbers and going to look at it after work Sorry, tonight. Can you repeat that? Uh, Garrett has a 10-year AFS opportunity. Um, he needs to uh, confirm the numbers and uh, going to see it tonight. And Garrett, have you taken the AFS course? If he hasn't, Garrett is part of the master's mentorship program. So you have it. <laughs> so you're going to have to go and watch that, that, that workshop. How many hours is it? Uh, to, uh, if he watches the AFS one, I yeah, think it's... he did in August. Okay, perfect. Okay. <laughs> well, you've got, uh, you can always go back to the, um, to the online one. I think it's eight hours, eight hours, 10 hours, something like that. Beauty. Um, yeah, let us know. He said he's going to post in the mentorship group later. So would the realtor get the deal taken off the market? A realtor would be paid out separately. If, if this was an MLS deal? Yeah. yeah. So the seller is still responsible to pay the, the realtor. 
their fees. Yep. They're basically in a contract with that realtor, right? So instead of it coming out of the equity, you know, um, out of the disbursements at the lawyer's office, um, it would still kind of sort of happen. Like the the seller's still obligated to pay um, both realtors or the the one realtor. um, And that would just be paid out, you know. The seller would just have to pay cash. Um, And in a lot of cases, the buyer will have a form of deposit and then that deposit could be used towards paying the, the realtor their fee. Mm. Or sometimes that's just a negotiation from the buyer. Buyer's like, look, I know you have a realtor. I'll make sure they get paid. I'll give you this much. I'll pay your realtor the equivalent of the commissions and we're good, right? So that's the thing with... Uh, with agreement for sale is that you can just basically negotiate it however you want to negotiate it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Kyle says he just bought Barry McGuire's AFS home study kit. It, once you... And he used the, the discount code. Oh, did he? Oh, nice. Awesome. Well, I'm glad I was able to help. It's it's worth it. That is such a good course. Yeah. I re-listened to that thing because we, um, we had different audio recordings from it. I listened to that so many freaking times. Um. Wow, it's six fifty-seven. Yeah. Holy guacamole! Um. Thanks, guys. I'll definitely take a course before I jump into AFS. Yes, please, please, for the love of God. Um. There's there's a few, and, and so some of you guys are gonna be like, "Hey, I just actually saw some wholesaler in my town is talking about um, you know, an AFS deal." Please ask them if they've taken a course and ask them whose mm-hmm. course they've taken. Mm-hmm. There's a few people in Canada. I'm just gonna say that generally, um, that um, uh, that are locking up agreement for sale deals and and they've never taken the course and that's a little scary to me because when you are you know buying those assignments you know they lock up a deal and they assign their interest in that agreement for sale deal to you one of the things that someone asked earlier was that what happens if the seller changes their mind okay so the contract is a legal document that you use that summarizes the, the the terms of the agreement and both parties sign. If someone says, I don't want to do it anymore, you can't just stuff a contract in their face and be like, you have to. Other person's going to be like, no, I don't. Fuck you. What, are you going to give them a paper cut with the contract? What are you, what are you going to hold it to their, hold it to their throat? No, they can do whatever they want. If they don't do what they're supposed to do, the contract is used to, to take them to court. And that is long <laughs> and painful and costly and not the best use of your time. What's most important with agreements for sale in any contract is the relationship with the other party. Just like joint ventures. What happens if the joint venture just changes their mind afterwards? Well, we got a contract. What, are you going to give them a paper cut with it? Give your head a shake. You can't force someone to do something with a piece of paper. The contracts are a piece of paper. That's all they are. Summarizing the terms. The relationship is what's most important with agreements for sale, 
and with your joint venture partners. You have to maintain the relationships. And if you are coming in and buying an assignment of an agreement for sale and the relationship wasn't built proper, or perhaps the uneducated wholesaler or the person that's assigning didn't properly explain things to the other party, or maybe they said things in private, like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, we can do that. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you'll get all that. Yeah. And then they just had them quickly sign a piece of paper and they didn't show them, you know, what everything meant and they didn't get independent legal advice. Do you really want to inherit that really crappy relationship that's going to go sour? No. So I personally do not buy agreements for sale assignments off of anyone who I don't know has taken the course and knows what the hell they're talking about. If you are looking at a deal, I, I would ask around in your community I would ask them first, you know, what kind of education they have. And then I would ask around in your community about that person and what their reputation is from multiple people, not just one, multiple people. Again, like it's a really amazing opportunity, but at the same time, you want to make sure that the seller has been uh, briefed properly, that they've gotten their own independent legal advice. And this wasn't just thrown on a napkin very quickly with false promises. Yeah. All right. Now, is is it okay if I name this episode uh, agreements for sale or flipping using agreements for sale? Did we talk about it long enough that warrants me being able to name the episode after that? Or is that too did we did we did we talk about the weather too long at the beginning of the show? I think we should title it that Christmas is 13 days away. Because we mentioned it a couple times, I think. Yeah. Okay. That'll be the worst downloaded episode that we have. <laughs> It'll literally be the, the, I think we'll get three downloads. Kyle thinks you should run it by the guy that gave you a one-star review. I, have him take a listen and be like, what would you title this man? I, like, I wish he put his name on the on the review. I was going to reach out and be like, hey. Oh, hopefully he's not in here right now. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't give a shit. I'm going to give him a paper cut. Chaston thinks t-shirt sales business. There we go. <laughs> New new business idea. <laughs> Glenn's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, don't tell everybody. That's my million dollar idea. Garrett thinks you should title it Morning Show Host Tells Bad Reviewer to Piss Off. <laughs> That's pretty decent clickbait, yeah, actually. That is. Actually, you know what? I'm strongly considering <laughs> that and I'm going to share it all over Facebook today. And every the amount of clicks we're going to get on the podcast. Yeah. Holy shit snacks. <laughs> Okay, guys. You could just title it Holy Shit Snacks. That too. (laughs) All right. We'll see you guys in the morning. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Interested in being a guest on the show? Send us an email to info at reimorningshow.com.